Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 168. How's it going, Sal? Going pretty good, Jen, or should I say Pastor Jen? Minister. Minister Jen. <laughs> I didn't I was gonna say I was gonna go with Father Jen, but then I was like, I feel like that's No, I like you, that I, better. <laughs> Father Jen. Father Jen Misty. <laughs> uh, oh yes. yes, please. That you has gotta be Father the, Jen from the now name on. of your service. Father Jen Misty <laughs> should be the name of your um Official officiating service. I'm mm-hmm. going to start you an Instagram, and uh, I really think this is going to take off. You know what's funny <laughs> is – okay, so I officiated a wedding last night, guys, and um, that was – like I told everybody in my family, I was like, "Okay, this isn't my thing now." Like, <laughs> no, right. Jen, it's not your thing. Your you, thing I'm is not, rescuing, <laughs> and that's not my thing either. I was like, I don't birth baby possums or rescue them. That's not my thing, and I also don't do everybody's weddings. Okay, I was like, give it to Bobby, my my youngest brother. I was like, he'll be happy to do it. Yeah, and so, um, but now that. You've thrown Father Jen at me. I'm 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 back, baby. Right? Sign me Come up. On. Who doesn't want <laughs> Father Jen to officiate their wedding? <laughs> I love I'm it. gonna get you a collar. It's <laughs> gonna be yeah. a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, oh my god, that would be so funny. So how was it? It was great. Um, I so I officiated the wedding of my for my cousin Michael and his husband, uh now husband, Craig, and um And it was great. We had a great time. Um, I just, I had a little too good of a time. What? uh, What do you, what do they call it? What do those kids call it? A hungover. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) It's that free wedding wine. You know, it is hard to, hard to not just double fist it when someone's giving it to you. (laughs) And it was one of those things where it was a long day. It was a stressful day. I had jitters. And then, um, yeah, by the time I, like, finally got my hands on some wine, I was like, I'll take four of those. <laughs> you gave the bartender a 20 and we're like, keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, anything for Father like, remember my face. <laughs> um, keep that red wine right in this right in this no it's even worse it was like sh- buttery chardonnay which oh. that's that's the real hangover you yeah. know that's the worst <laughs> oh no <laughs> buttery chardonnay gross <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it was a good time i'm just feeling it today what'd you do yeah this weekend um oh well i was gonna say that i i know I know that you killed it because I saw uh, Baby Bobby, Uncle Baby Bobby's. Uncle Baby Bobby. Um, Uncle Baby Bobby. Uncle Baby Bobby. I don't know if he's still listening, but hello. Um, I saw his Instagram post where you were getting like a giant laugh. Oh, yeah. I killed it. I killed it. <laughs> killed it. Yeah. Up there. yeah. Um, and, then I, and then your parents dancing, which was the cutest thing ever. Yeah. They get <laughs> they Tom O'Neill on run. a dance floor. And now Caroline, like my mom too, she's she's quite the dancer. They yeah. do like ballroom dancing together. But my dad has always been, even when we were little, like he is like John Travolta on the dance floor. He can't do the splits anymore. But he used to like be the guy that did the splits and all the ladies wanted to dance with my dad. Um, Well, I would officially like to extend an invitation to uh, Tom and Caroline uh, (laughs) to our Wednesday night dance class. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'd love to see. Uh, them out there on the dance floor doing a little twerking. That's what I would like. They would. <laughs> they would. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, my weekend was great. I had a very um, suburban mom weekend. It was so great. <laughs> it was so nice. I didn't have any shows. I did have one show and it got canceled, which like. Oh, do you love it? Do you it love was, a canceled show? 
can I tell you it was so great? So I had just, you know, it's like I had, of course, you know me, I like overschedule myself and then uh-huh. I'm like instantly like regretting everything. We were helping set up for this neighborhood haunted trail thing all day. And then we had friends coming over beforehand and then we went to the haunted trail thing. And then after all of that, and of course, we're like having a couple beers. And then after all that, at nine o'clock, I was going to go do a show. Which is just crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But then at the last minute, the show got canceled and I was like, oh, bummer. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I really wanted to not be in bed by nine, but um, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, So, yeah. So that was great. We did that. We went to a different like school's fall festival on Friday. It was just a just a real Mom weekend. Mom <laughs> fall weekend. Mom fall weekend. Where, uh, yeah. you know, everything was fall spiced. Yep. <laughs> I, was, I was a pumpkin spice lady this weekend. Love I wore it. some flannels. So it was great. Um, well, let's get into our quickies. Let's do it. I'm starting this week. Um, and I found a really good one for Did Halloween. You? Yeah. It's a really All good right. Halloween quickie. Uh, this is um, came from an article for 7news.com in Australia. Oh. Did I? Roy? No. Roy? No. 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 <laughs> Apologies to our Australian listeners. I know. Sorry, guys. This is like we like to do accents poorly. That's that's why it, that's what makes it funny. Oh, man. The other night yeah. uh, I was at the Laughing Skull and I have a joke where I say, like, I'm not talking about, like, British TV. And I say, like, I just like to hear people say, Sean, your butts, governor. And then I see these guys, like, kind of, like, looking at each other and laughing in the audience. And I was like, oh, are you, are you guys British? <laughs> and they were like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, so did I, like, fucking nail <laughs> I was like, was that the first thing you understood the whole set? <laughs> and they were just like, ah. Oh, no. and then I made them each say "Shine Your Boots, Governor" for me, and uh, I don't know if they thought it was delightful, but man, it was just—it was that, like the best part of my night. <laughs> sounds like a great riff, right? Um, like I love when I talk to someone with from another country, and if I'm like, do an American accent, do what you think we sound like. Yes. Do it, do it. like it's like yes. my favorite thing is to hear like their impression of what they think we sound like. Oh yes, Always yeah, I amazing. love yeah, I love hearing like when I listen to British podcasts and they do American accents because it's yeah. it's just as bad as my British accent. Oh and yeah, it's, and it's always just so like nails on a chalkboard. You know where you're like, oh, is that what we sound like? You know, oh, no. we could all just buy the world a coke and make fun of each other's accents together. Right? We could just come on solve world peace. Solve world peace. Let's solve it. Bring Let's get world rid of that. Fucking <laughs> things are too peaceful. Let's just we can have world peace. Oh, I'm tired, you guys. Um, okay, so this was from um, an article for sevennews.com Australia, but written by Amy Sinclair. And it's actually about an American woman who advertised a dress for sale on Facebook that she was selling for 600 American dollars. And this is what she wrote on the Facebook post. Okay. She wrote, while my fight, hold on, let me see. While my fiance and I were hiking through a small town between Fairfax and Carbonata, Washington, we came across an old gold rush town that was completely abandoned. Needless to say, our curiosity got the best of us and we started to explore the ruins of this ghost town. In one of the rundown remnants of a small cottage we shimmied up to, I came across this dress. It was so gorgeous, I froze at the sight of it. I'm going to say that really. It's not that gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, have you ever seen a dress? <laughs> yeah, pretty. Anyway, so uh, it was so gorgeous, she froze at the sight of it. And she said, um, if I'm being completely honest, it scared the crap out of me at all at the same time. But Something about its ethereal beauty just begged me to bring it home with me. Afterwards, so she brought this dress home with her and she wrote, Afterwards, things at home would never be the same. After a week of having the dress, we noticed my cat began to hide underneath the bed almost all day when she normally spent the day on us or on her designated windowsill. Then things started moving across the house. For small things like socks and my closet door being open in the morning when I specifically remember closing it before bed, 
then my cat's food tray would get thrown at such velocity. It would knock things off the shelf on the wall. It strikes. This happened relentlessly. And then came the smell of rotten eggs and fire that would fill our bedroom night after night. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You're just still hanging around to see what happens? Right. And then. (laughs) And then. She said, yeah. And then. Um, then flies started to pile up against my back windows and swarm around my front door. Attempts to quote unquote blast the bride's dress and home with holy water only intes- um, intensified the activity. There were doors slamming, lights turning on and off, candles being blown out in still air, footsteps all over my apartment, and heavy anguish sighs so close to my ears I could feel the breath of whoever it came from. I would check myself into a mental institution. Yeah, that, that is. Oh, breath yeah. in your ear. That's like the worst. I know. The worst. <laughs> and then she said it was only when I gave it to her future. Uh, oh, the article says it was only when she gave it to her future mother-in-law for cleaning and tailoring that things finally changed. Um, this woman said during the two months that she had the dress, it was complete peace. No more tension in the room, no more arguing between me and my partner, no more objects moving or footsteps. And my cat was back to her affectionate, playful self. Um, so her mother-in-law never got it dry cleaned and she begged her to not get married in the dress because she felt the energy surrounding it. Um, and she said that she never even told her, uh, mother-in-law that there were, um, problems the mother just felt it yeah and so she said needless to say i need to get it out of my home and i know there are some people who are willing to take on this endeavor but but the thing was facebook readers were what the hell you know not only is (laughs) she trying trying to get us this like super haunted dress (laughs) but she's charging like six hundred dollars for this dress that she basically stole right i was gonna say you took the dress so (laughs) So <laughs> you're trying to make money off of it? Yeah. So readers posted like, what a horrible person for stealing something like that in the first place. I'm glad she's being haunted for it. Sounds like real karma to me. I hope that a ghost <laughs> comes at her harder, not only for not only the theft, but to attempt to sell what she's stolen for $600. And another person wrote, teach you to go around stealing wedding dresses from ghost town. So people are t- also telling her like, just throw it away, like get rid of it. Or like, you know, one person said, burn it and dump the ashes in a river. Um, And another person wrote, this isn't your dress. Take another hike uh, to the ghost town and leave it there. Do the right thing. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably the right thing to do. Ghost-wise. Put it back. Purely (laughs) ghost-wise. Purely ghost-wise. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Ghost to ghost. I would really take it back to the town and say I was sorry. Oh, my God. This reminds me. When I was in uh, New York with my son last weekend, which I'll talk about later, but um, I was, like, looking down at my phone and I was Googling something or doing something. And my son – we were at the Museum of Natural History in the, like, um, uh, indigenous – area where there were all these like um, really cool like totem poles and masks and like um, all all this like really cool historical stuff and and my son was like mom come here come here come here and I go behind and he was like look at this look at this and I was like was on my phone and then I look up and then there's a like all these witch doctor masks and then there's a sign that says caution some people believe that you shouldn't look these masks directly in the face because they have like special spirits and I'm like dude Thank you so much. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, I was in a car accident. I actually was. I'm not even kidding. Were you? Yeah. In mm-hmm. New York? Yeah. We got into a little fender bender, but everybody was fine. Okay. Everybody was fine. Well, it was good. But um, yeah. Fucking Sully. Fucking anyway. Sully. But uh, no, I don't want to piss off any ghosts or witch doctors or spirits. No. No. I, I mean, that's all. That's, that's Never. all crazy. That's all crazy, but if it's all to be believed, fucking take it back. Take yeah, it back I right take now. it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's so. an awesome spooky. There you spooky. go. Happy Halloween. Um, yeah. Well, I have one that's like takes place in a cemetery, so it's kind of spooky. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Mine's from the New York Post by Dana Kennedy and from the Daily Voice by Jerry DeMarco. 
Okay. So uh, Linda Torello died of cancer in 2017, and she is buried at the cemetery at Tappan Reformed Church in Orangetown, New York. Uh, she was a 66-year-old beloved mother of seven and grandmother of 13, and she was due to become a great-grandmother when she died in August of 2017. Her son, Michael Murphy, and his sister, Renee, realized that there was something going on at their mom's grave when they visited and found a bag of poop sitting on the gravestone. Oh, my God. I know. And at first they thought it was like a mistake left by a dog walker because it's like an open area. Um, but then it happened another time. So the siblings called the cops who took a report, but they were like, we want to know what is going on here. Like, this is really crazy and the cops obviously are not going to come out and do a sting operation um so they got permission from the cemetery manager to place trail cameras in the trees to see if they could catch who mm -hmm. was doing this and it was the night clipper <laughs> night clipper he poops at night yeah he's what escalated you know like <laughs> First, he's in Fort Worth, and now he's in New York. <laughs> now he's not just clipping, <laughs> shitting on people's graves. <laughs> I mean, it's the, lo the logical uh, escalation, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, so they, you know, they took they took uh, they took film overnight. They had these tree cameras, um, and when they checked the footage, they realized that the person who had been desecrating their mother's grave was actually a man who had been married to their mother very <gasps> briefly in the 1970s. Wow, get over it. Yes, apparently been harboring a 48-year a 48-year grudge against <gasps> Linda. Linda. I know. So, the man um had left had actually left Linda when she was pregnant. Oh my god. And then had never had anything to do with his biological daughter, Renee, except for one time earlier, like actually this year, when the daughter ran into him and he told her that he wished she were dead <gasps> and cursed her and Linda. Oh, my God. Yeah. So apparently after he left Linda, this is in the 1970s. Um, the man, his name is Dean Eichler. His his family stood behind Linda and her daughter Renee. And Michael said they really stepped up. They loved her, her, our mom. And because of that, his family was estranged from Dean and his second wife. So basically, Michael said his family chose my mother over his wife. He said that they were all dead to him. That's probably where the animosity comes in. So the footage was too blurry and grainy to take to the authorities. So in late September, uh, Michael and his sister Renee got up at 5 a.m. to drive to the cemetery and they laid in wait. Uh, Michael set up his smartphone on a nearby headstone to get better pictures and then they hid behind a small shed. Um, he said that the video and the pictures that he and his sister got show that um, Dean drove to the cemetery almost every morning. Wow. Between 614 and 618 with his current wife, got out of the car, walked to Linda's grave and peed on it. Oh my God. I know. So Michael said, I can't even get my wife to go out to dinner, but this guy gets his wife to go along with him to de desecrate my mom's remains every morning. No kidding. He said, yeah. He said, I was shaking while I was hiding. My sister was crying because of course this is her dad. So he said, I was so sick. I was, oh, so I was sick. I was so angry. Um, he said that nobody in his family has had contact with this guy since 1976 and they have no idea how he found his mother's grave. Um, and Michael went to the cops three times and they refused to let him speak to a detective. And so he said he like, doesn't, you know, he's like, I don't know if this is like this guy's poop that he was leaving or if it came from a dog. He said, all I know is it could he's be using his my, wife's you could be know. his wife. Maybe she's she seems very the supportive and is, in <laughs> can you even imagine insanity? Yeah. Um, he said, Michael said, all I know is he's been using my mother's grave as a toilet every morning said he could have been peeing out there for five years and we wouldn't have known it. We only found it because of the feces. So at first, the authorities like weren't responding, even though they were making all these reports. They had this evidence. Um, but then the New York Post and the Daily Voice reported on it. And apparently now they're investigating and looking into charges against Dean Eichler. So 
wow. you know what? I'll follow up on this possibly if I remember. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, isn't that crazy? That is wild. It, it is mind blowing to me, like how, like if he would only put like that kind of effort and dedication into something like even a little bit more useful, it, it, positive. It, 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 yes, <laughs> like he yes. could have built a house. He could have built a house. Like, like brick by brick, <laughs> if he laid one brick a day rather than like one piss on a gravestone. Like it's right. just wild to me. I don't know. It, it's like, what do you feel after you do that? I just can't imagine feeling anything but total guilt, you know? I mean, no, yeah. I mean, obviously, he doesn't feel guilt because he's no. insane. But it's just, yeah, like, what would make you just keep coming back every single day? And that, like, you and your wife are driving. I just, that's the uh, crazy part. That is It's wild. all crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so um, there you okay. go. <laughs> That's crazy. There you go. It's definitely spooky. <laughs> spooky. Hey, Sal. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for the crazy story for this week? I am ready. All right. It's crazy. I There is a murder in it. Okay. okay. I'm just going to tell you. All right. I'm prepared. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. My story this week came from um, an article for um, the WJCL written by Ansley Christian, um, an article for the Cinemaholic, an article um, for Oxygen.com written by staff, and mm-hmm. then also an episode of Snapped Killer Couples. <gasps> Snapped killer couples. That's the spookiest of the snaps. It really is. <laughs> Very spooky. Colette Collins um, was raised in a middle class family. She was an only child. And um, she had a lot of friends and was her friends said that she was super fun and bubbly, like liked by everyone. She was a very outgoing person. And right um, right out of high school, she ended up getting a job at um, a retail clothing store. Apparently, she was really, really good at it because like she was personable. She was great at selling, um, great at selling clothes. But, you know, um, she didn't love working retail, but like who does, you know? Yeah. Not I. Not I. Did it for many, many years, but I did not. Same. But yeah, I mean, she was really good at it, but it wasn't really like what she wanted to do. And then, um, so one day she ended up meeting this guy whose name was Sam Collins. And he actually was a very successful landscaping business owner in Augusta, Georgia. Um, He was super successful. He actually built his business from the ground up. Just uh, he started it at the age of 18, just mowing lawns, but he was so, such a hard worker and so driven. He would do like 25 lawns a day. And and then he just like built up his business on his own. Um, So apparently when the two met, they, they were very similar. They were both outgoing. Um, They just hit it off right away and were immediately inseparable. Um, And they only dated a couple of months before they actually got engaged which was a shock to their friends and family, but they seemed really happy together and like a really good match. Um, So they ended up getting married in 2004 and um, Colette stopped working retail and actually became partners with um, Sam in his landscaping business. And um, because she was really good at selling and marketing. And so she helped grow the, the company into something even bigger um, she was like, you know, finally, I don't have to fucking space hangers. Yes. Did you ever to, do, like, have to do that? Fold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that was like hangers. the most, the craziest thing to me at the end of the night. If you've never worked retail at the end of the night or even like during throughout the day, you have to go through every, like all of the whole store and put the exact same space in between every hanger. Do you know <laughs> all the clothes? I mean, they probably don't do that at Marshalls, but other at other places. See, the thing is, I actually really liked that part of retail. Like the spacing, the hangers, the folding the clothes. Like if I yeah. could just listen to music and do that all day, I was living my best life. It was when you introduce customers into the situation. <laughs> yeah, retail would be fine if you didn't have to That's deal when with I was customers. Drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so put me in a stock room and I was happy. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me talk to people. But yeah. anyway, so she was really good at um, marketing and selling, and she helped grow the company into something bigger than it was. So they And they were both really hard workers, and they worked really well together. Two and a half years later, they ended up having a little baby boy. 
And, um, and they were really happy. Like they were happy, successful family. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, Sam decided that they had actually outgrown Augusta, um, meaning like Augusta had become too big and too populated and there were too many competitors. So they decided that it was like a smart idea to move to a smaller town where there was less competition. So they ended up deciding on Bluffton, South Carolina, which is right outside of Hilton Head. They, you know, just decided there'd be less competitors and they would just be able to take over the landscaping market in that town completely. And that was the plan. But then shortly after they moved there, Sam ended up injuring his leg um, to the point where he couldn't work. And that greatly affected the business. He tried to subcontract the workout, but um, when you do that, you're not making nearly as much money. Yeah. So Colette ended up taking a job as a server at a nearby country club um, for money, obviously for money. (laughs) When you take a job, it's usually for money. So um, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes get paid in uh, one drink ticket. Drink ticket. I I know. (laughs) I always said like one day I'm going to insulate my house and drink tickets and then all of this will make sense, you know? But anyway, um, so the speckle of chicken wings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My house is made of chicken wing bones. Chicken wing bones, uh, drink tickets, and exposure. And <laughs> crusty old tater tots. <laughs> uh, so, so she took a job at this country club. And because she was super bubbly, she was pretty, she was well-liked. Um, you know, she would – and she'd flirt with the customers because it's all kind of part of the job. And, right. Um, but she did really well there. But Sam did not like that at all. She, he, did, he was very protective over his family over her he was very jealous he didn't he was that guy he was that husband boyfriend whatever that would sit up at the bar and watch and make sure like nobody was talking to her you know which is horrible that's a bad look man it's not a good look yeah um and they would argue about it and stuff and um, he was super paranoid that she was gonna cheat on him but his suspicion like he wasn't that paranoid because actually in 2012 he found out that she was actually having an affair uh with a man that lived in georgia that's the only information i can find that's what anybody says a man that lives in georgia we'd be a little more specific we are well-respected journalists jen i like to imagine that this guy was like like Ray Donovan, who's way out of the story, you know? It's probably like this senator. And they're like, um, no, it's just a man that lives in Georgia. And like every news outlet. The man that yeah. lives in Georgia. Anyway, so so Sam, Sam was completely devastated when he found out about the affair, which she admitted to. Um, he And he filed divorce papers um, against her and he alleged adultery. And then they separated and he kept custody of their son. Um, and, you know, Colette was devastated. That was her family. She wanted it back together. She begged for forgiveness and he ended up giving her another chance. Um, so she moved back in and they vowed to just move on from it. But Sam had a really hard time getting over it. Yeah. Um, he was depressed not only because of the affair, but he also was depressed that he couldn't work. So he started using drugs, mostly pot. Drugs kind of gave him the idea to start selling them because, oh, yeah. <laughs> like a I light mean, bulb. What, what else? you do it's like pot really is a gateway drug you know like i have an idea (laughs) so because his landscaping business was struggling and so it's just a really easy way for him to make money Mm -hmm. but then um that year he was actually also arrested for selling drugs um Mm -hmm. and he was placed on probation he didn't have to go to jail so he was able to stay home with colette and the kids but that whole experience scared him straight and he decided to like get his life back on track yeah he just decided we're gonna start fresh like I'm going to put all my energy into this landscaping business. We're going to get new friends, everything. And so they started hanging out at this restaurant um, in Bluffton called uh, Pepper's Porch, which was owned by a 33-year-old Jonathan Sherall. Um, Jonathan was well known, not only because he was the bar owner, but he was like good looking. He was fun. Like everybody liked him. He was just like you know, that kind of bar owner dude, you know? So John and Sam became really good friends and they would all hang out together. They'd hang out with Colette. Sam didn't have a problem with it because he trusted John and, you know, they, they never hung out alone or anything, meaning Colette and John, you know, they were just friends. And so everything seemed fine. And then, <laughs> and then what happened? And then 
On October 28th, that year, at 12.48 at night, the Bluffton police received a 911 call. Uh, the caller just said, someone's been shot and then hung up the phone. And then a second call came in and the caller said, my friend has been shot and hung up the phone. But um, on that second call, they were able to trace the address and the address was uh, the home of Jonathan Sherall. So mm -hmm. when the police arrived on the scene, um, his friends Joe Ruby and Robert Vox were, were there. And Joe Ruby told the police that he was just sitting on the back porch hanging out with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan when they heard um, the sound of a gunshot like rack, like that sound, you know? Yeah. Um, and they looked around to see like, where did that come from? Because it was so dark out, they couldn't see anything. And then all of a sudden he saw that a shot was fired and Jonathan had been shot in the head. And so then he heard um, another shot and he saw it hit him again. And Joe Ruby ran inside the house where Jonathan's roommate, Robert Vox, was inside sleeping. Um, and he ran in and told him like, oh my gosh, Jonathan's been shot. So they both, both Jonathan and Robert heard the shots, but they didn't see the shooter because it was too dark outside. Oh, how um, horrifying. I know. And after um, a thorough investigation of the scene, the only evidence the police could find in the scene were two buckshot shells and a single footprint in the dirt near the porch. Um, so Joe and Robert were brought in for questioning naturally because they were the, the two people on the scene, you know. Yeah. And But when they interrogated Joe Ruby, he told the police that um, earlier, what right before when they were sitting on the talking like Jonathan was a little weirded out because he said he had a really weird thing happen to him just like an hour before. Yeah. He said that an hour earlier, he heard the doorbell ring and he looked out and he saw a girl at his door. Um, this girl told him that she was having car trouble. So he went outside, looked at her car. The car was fine. But then he said that the girl then tried to make out with him <gasps> and then asked him if she could come inside. And he told her no and that she needed to leave. And then um, he told his friend, Joe, that he, um, Jonathan told him that he felt it felt really weird, almost like someone was trying to case the house or something. And so his roommate, Robert, said that he slept through all of it and knew, he knew nothing about the woman or that, you know, when Jonathan was shot, he didn't know anything. And they tested both Jonathan and Robert for gunshot residue and both turned up negative. So now the police are trying to figure out who this woman is, you know, and they asked Joe and Robert if there was anybody else that Jonathan might have had an issue with. Um, and they said, actually, like Jonathan's going through a legal battle right now with his business partner, um, a woman named Christy Pinsky, who is joint owner of the restaurant. Okay. Apparently she owned another restaurant called The Sipping Cow, and they decided to merge the restaurants. But shortly thereafter, it the whole deal went south and they had to close the Jonathan's restaurant. And they both accused the other of financial misappropriation. So there was like a real heated court yeah. uh, legal battle. Um, so they thought that maybe it was her that came by, but his friends were like, well, if, if it was her, he would have said it was her. And also like, there's no way he would have helped her with her car because he hates her, you know? Right, I mean? right, right, right. So yeah. they're like, it definitely wasn't her. So the police interviewed her and they said that when they told her that he was murdered, she didn't seem bothered by it at all. She just sat there like stone faced. Police also noticed that her husband owned a shotgun similar to the type of shotgun that was used to kill Jonathan. And she told the police that um, she was home that night with her husband. That was her alibi, which is not super tight. So the police took the shotgun and tested it, um, but they were able to see that it was not a match to the gun that was used. Um, so they kind of stopped looking at them in the meantime. But uh, so the police started looking into all of the neighborhood security cameras and mm -hmm. the Pinecrest subdivision, which is where he lived. And they were able to see like a dark Honda or t Toyota. They saw this car slowly pull up to his driveway around 11 p.m. And um, so this is like the story that Jonathan told his friends but when they saw this car drive up to 11 p.m., they could see this girl talking to him. They couldn't quite make out who it was. But on the video, it was obvious on the video that they knew each other and they were not strangers. They were mm. very friendly. Yeah. And so, like, they were wondering why would Jonathan lie to his friends about who came to the door, you know? Yeah. 
And so they, the police thought, you know, maybe they were having an affair because apparently Jonathan had a reputation for being like a player and he had no problem with hooking up with married women. He did it all the time. And, and so they kind of, you know, are wondering like, who is this woman that he could possibly have been having an affair with and he didn't want his friends to know about. Um, I, oh, don't, don't, don't ruin it for everybody, <laughs> Sally. <laughs> I was just saying hi. You know, no, <laughs> stop it. I was just saying right hi. Now. I just wanted to tell you you were doing a great job. That's Thank it. you. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, um, then at around, um, they saw on the cameras at around 1253 that evening that they saw the same car driving up again, slowly taking a left and going slowly past his house. And then it drove by a third time. But the, on the third time that they saw the car, they were able to see the plate number. And then they ran the plate number. Uh huh. And the car belonged to <gasps> who? Colette Collins. What? See, no. if you would have just waited like <laughs> 30 more seconds, <laughs> do you think anybody was like, who do you think it was? <laughs> you guys just placate me for like <laughs> one story. Anyway, so. Um, the police ended up bringing her in for questioning and, um, they asked her how she knew him. And she said that her and her husband were friend knew him from the restaurant. Um, and they asked her when was the last time she saw him. And she said that she went to his house the night that he was murdered, but she said that they just, Oh, they just talked about like his plans for the restaurant now that it was closing and whatnot. The police asked her if she was having an intimate relationship with him. She said, no. Um, she said that she admitted that they were flirtatious, but that it had never gone beyond that. And then she told the police that after she left Jonathan's house, she went to the store and bought a bottle of wine and then just drove around drinking it, which like, that's a stupid thing to tell the police. Right. But I also kind of get that. That's like the thing where you tell, you know, you you come home like to your parents' house and you're like on ecstasy and you're like, I'm sorry, I smoked a cigarette. <laughs> Mom, it's true. You got peer me. pressured into smoking a cigarette, all right? <laughs> you're like rolling. <laughs> that never happened, Mom. That never happened. That wasn't me. That was your other daughter. Anyway, so <laughs> – that was a page. Uh, so she, uh, so she told the police that she was driving around, smoke, uh, smoking, cigarettes, drinking wine. <laughs> they asked her, "Well, why did you drive by a second time?" And she was like, "Oh, I can't really remember because of all the alcohol that I drank." You know, mm-hmm. and that was like likely story. So she started to get uncomfortable when she realized that they knew that she had driven by like multiple times. And so that's when she was like, do I need to get a lawyer? And so she totally buttoned up and stopped saying anything. And then they, they ended up calling her husband salmon for questioning. And it was really weird. Like Sam came in the cane and he was wearing like rosary beads, like as a necklace, which is always an interesting look. Um, so, uh, (laughs) and he told them that, um, which actually should be my look if I'm going to be Father Jen. Now that Obviously. I'm That's what yeah. I was thinking. I what? was just picturing like some a lot of layered yeah. necklaces and then one is a rosary bead. Come on. Oh, yeah. Father. Anyway. Um, so uh, he told them that um, – he told the police that him and Jonathan were good friends and he, they asked – him if he knew that Colette went by Jonathan's house and he told them yes and they asked him do you own any guns and he said no and then they asked if they could search his house and his car and he said no that's an invasion of my privacy like you can't search that so um magically a few days later he was pulled over for speeding and no taillight which like mm-hmm. come on dude <laughs> right you're gonna get pulled over if you you know what I mean and so yeah, yeah, yeah. He got They're on to you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, inside the car, they found weed. So they p- placed him under arrest for the weed. And then they were able to search him. And when they searched him, in his pocket, in his pants pocket, they found a shotgun shell. Oh, jeez. Like, you're just driving <laughs> around with the evidence in your pocket? Why? Like yeah, you ding dong. Throw it away. Or, like, <laughs> take it to an abandoned ghost town. Exactly. No. Like, like I would say ev- evidence-wise, <laughs> <laughs> I would say evidence-wise, 
Take it to the ghost town. <laughs> I know. <laughs> also, ghost wise, take uh, it to the yeah. ghost town. Evidence and ghost wise. <laughs> So now the police have probable cause because they found the shotgun shell on him. So they were able to obtain warrants to search um, Colette and Sam's house. And during the uh, search, they found a gun safe. But when they opened it, the safe was empty. Um, But they were also able to obtain a warrant for their cell phone records. And on their cell phone records, they found a text message from Sam to an unknown number Um, just an hour after the murder occurred that said, I didn't want to wake you. I put the gun back in your truck wrapped in camo. (laughs) Like what the hell? I mean, at least like have a code word, like don't want to wake you. Thanks for the the jelly beans. Sing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Idiots. All right. I just want to listen to your Al Green CD. Do you have an Al Green (laughs) CD I can listen to tonight? I also have like eight more friends that also need Al Green CDs. Do you know where we could get Al Green CDs? That was our code for we. Anyway, I, I got that. <laughs> I want, listen, I want to make some spaghetti, but I'm, I got everything. I've got this. I just don't have oregano. <laughs> Do you have an Al Green CD for my spaghetti? Anyway, um, so. The the owner of the cell phone that he called um, ended up getting traced to someone named William Cody Brown. And the police um, found him, talked to him, and he told them that he's known Sam for years. But just about a month ago, he caught a call from Sam asking if he could borrow a shotgun from him. Um, And he showed the police the gun. And he was like, it's right over there. Like, I haven't used it since he borrowed it. And then the police took the gun, tested the DNA on the gun, and it matched Sam. And it also matched the shotgun shell that was in Sam's pocket. What? What? Yes. So Sam was charged with the murder of Jonathan Sherall, um, but police were also able to convince a judge to issue a warrant um, to arrest Colette Collins as well, since she was the one on the video. Sam went to trial and very quickly was found guilty in, um, of murder, and he's serving 50 years in prison. And then Sam, even when he was already in prison and Colette had not gone to trial yet, and he had nothing to gain or lose from making the statement, but he decided he wanted to like make a statement in regards to Colette. And he said he went on record uh-huh. and said that she had no idea that he was going to kill Jonathan. He said that, but she did know that he was dead at the time she was interviewed by the police. Like she had nothing okay. to do with it, but she was aware of the murder um, and that she and she drove him there. And then afterwards, she knew that he was killed, like when she drove Sam home uh-huh. um, and then lied to p- the police. So because of that, she was convicted for accessory to murder after the fact. And she is currently serving her 15 years in prison and should be out pretty shortly. He did it just because she went home after having hung out with Jonathan. It's not really, it's still, nobody knows if they really were having an affair. Nobody knows that. Nobody can say, but when she went home and he, um, he, Sam asked her where she was, she admitted to have having gone to go talk to Jonathan and that she saw Jonathan and that alone put him into such a blind rage that he insisted that he she drive him over there. And yeah. uh I guess he had a shotgun and but here's the thing is if he like knew if like if he asked the friend yeah for the shotgun, he probably knew that they were having an affair. And then also and like had the it. wherewithal to like take it back that night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's so yeah, it's really Fishy. unclear. Yeah. yeah. It's really unclear. And um, it's kind of insinuated that he found out that they were having an affair or he got jealous and thought they were having an affair. I feel like the fact that he she was on the video and it looked like they were very friendly in the video. Yeah. He was known and he lied about it yeah. to his friends. I think it's kind of safe to say that they probably were. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Like, why else would he? Why else right. wouldn't he be like? It was that crazy lady that's always hanging around the bar. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know what she wanted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, 
That's nuts. So, yeah, it's a crazy story. That's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. Man, well, I thought we were going to be like mad at her, but I mean, I, I just when he when you said she took a job because he got hurt and then he came at, to her job and sat there all day or day yeah. for years, like that is crazy. That is so that's like just a crazy level of jealousy and controllingness and you know toxic masculinity it was like he was insecure because he couldn't work or provide so he took it out on his wife and then who was trying to make money for the family i mean granted she did have affairs yeah but like the man from georgia the man from georgia but also it's like well kind of it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy if somebody's like you're having an affair you're having an affair i know you're gonna have an affair then it's kind of like well then fuck it might as well do it That's what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, that's my policy, you know what I mean? (laughs) Excuse me one more time. See what happens. Fuck around and find out. (laughs) I mean, I'll fuck around and you'll find out. That's what I'm saying. Well, great job. You did a great job. Um, and you. also what what an awful story. And also here's and the third thing <laughs> and the last thing. Isn't it crazy to think that like this one guy who was just a guy who owned a bar, like had two sets of people who could have possibly killed him? Yeah. Like I mean, that there was like, like this other couple that was like that a viable that. like they were like viable suspects, this other couple. Yeah. Oh yeah, That's I mean, like, if you I'm, if you get murdered, Jen, it is going to be such a cluster because like <laughs> everybody wants you, dead. everybody wants you dead. <laughs> I know. All right, well, are you ready for a good story? Yes, I am. Let's hear it. So my story comes from two articles um, from Next Avenue and from the Huffington Post. And listen, you know how like we're like super good journalists, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're like, professional journalists. Right. Obviously, like you're obviously like you're like our head journalist, but now I've like been apprenticing under you for like three years. Like I'm like mm-hmm. I'm like that cub reporter just trying to earn her stripes. Right. Um, well, I am doing today. I'm doing that thing that good journalists that you have taught me to do, and I am following up on a story that we previously reported on. Really? Yes. That's great. I love yeah. to hear that. Okay. So. Do you remember? Do you remember in episode one hundred and six? I was um, like seventeen years old then, Sally. <laughs> do you remember back in the good old days, episode one hundred and six? Um, so you did writer Ann Gorowitz's story about her husband Stephen dying and how he <gasps> yes yes Ugh. he picked out a new puppy for her to have as a companion, like right yes. before he died. And she wrote us. She wrote us back. Do you remember? Did she? And she thanked us for the story, and she told us that she would keep us updated on the puppy. Well, Jen. Yeah. So remember, it was so beautiful. Like, we both cried. Um, Yeah. Well, okay. So today, I have a love story. For today's love story, I have an update on Anne's life. And so both of the articles that I- great. I know. Both the articles that I mentioned were written by her, because as we know, she's an amazing writer. So- Beautiful writer. So I highly recommend- listening to the episode where Jen told um, the story of Anne's husband, Stephen, and and the puppy. But just I'll give you a recap for those of you who haven't heard it or who don't remember or don't have the time to go back and listen to it right now. Stephen and Gorwitz have been married for 45 years when he got pneumonia after what was supposed to be what she said was a walk in the park surgery. Um, he had to be put on a breathing machine. And so he was unable to speak or leave his bed for three months. And during that time, the two communicated through his iPad and then through a notebook um, while he was in the hospital. And he had actually been sick for years before this. And Anna had been his caretaker. But, you know, he had always recovered. Like he had had cancer. And just at this point, they just thought that he he was going to get out of the hospital. And then right at the height of COVID, before Stephen was even hospitalized, their beloved dog, Cassie, passed away. Yeah. And and Anne thought it was like too soon to get another dog, but Stephen – or Steve insisted that they find another dog. And they searched for a rescue 
Um, but they couldn't find anyone, of course, because everyone was trying to find a dog during COVID. So there were no rescue dogs. So they ended up contacting a breeder. They had to put on this big deposit. And Anne was like, I don't think we should do it. And Steve just insisted. It's like he knew something. He knew they were she was going to need a dog. So by the time the litter was available, Steve was on the respirator and already in the hospital. And they looked at pictures of the puppies. And Steve wrote in the notebook... Um, he picked one out and he said, Romeo, the one with the white heart on his forehead, that's oh, the one for that. us. Yeah. So, and then several days after he picked out that dog, he passed away in his sleep. And then a few hours after Steve died, Anne got a note from the breeder that said, let's talk. We're ready to decide which puppy is right for you. And then this is from that article, that first article that Anne wrote. Um, she said, I told her I wanted Romeo. I want to set up a day for you to meet him, she responded. How's May 12th? May 12th was my birthday. I believe, without a doubt, it was Steve's birthday present to me. He had found the perfect gift, a companion to help me begin my new life without him and a new love to help me fill the giant hole in my heart. And then the breeder said, Romeo will be ready for me to pick up June 27th, our wedding anniversary. If you guys go back and listen to that episode, there's a lot of crying on that episode. A lot of crying. It was so – oh, my God. Yeah. So one thing I, I don't think that Anne wrote about in that first article was that Stephen had been sick for a long time. So for almost a decade before he passed away, Steve couldn't eat or drink um, by mouth. So he had to have like a – got his nutrition through a feeding tube. It was a side effect of his treatment for throat cancer. And there was this couple – Bill and Maggie, who lived a floor above them in their Manhattan apartment, who were in kind of a similar situation. So Maggie and Anne were close friends. They had actually like had all these weird coincidences where they were like the same age. They had both been married in June 1976. Um, they liked a lot of the same things. And over their 20 years of friendship, um, Maggie and Anne socialized. They also organized this fundraiser together for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And then Maggie got sick too. So she was ill for a long time and Bill was her caretaker. And to give him some relief, Steve, when he was well enough, and Anne would invite Bill out to dinner from time to time. And then four years ago, Maggie passed away. Um. And while I, yeah, and while she was in the hospital, Anne went to visit her. She brought – Anne runs all these um, marathons – and she brought Maggie her New York City Marathon training shirt that says, um, imagine a world without cancer written on the back. And Maggie put it on. And a few days after that, Maggie passed away while she was still wearing the shirt. And Bill told Anne that she had refused to take it off. Um. So fast forward a few years, Steve is in the hospital now. And so Bill is now trying to be there for Anne. He's like uh, going on walks with her. Um you know, so she can have a break from these long days in the hospital. And Anne wrote in the Huffington Post, she said, it started with Bill texting me, want to take a walk? It was spring and the cherry blossoms in Central Park were in bloom. Walking with Bill felt comforting. Soon, Steve took a turn for the worse. His pneumonia was out of control. And by April, his doctors advised hospice. Steve had been sick for many years. And though I had more time than many people to prepare myself to lose him, it was completely unbearable. So, about a month after Steve passed, um, Anne got a text from Bill that said, come to Fire Island. I've rented a house. My daughter, her husband, and baby are here. You'll have your own bedroom and bathroom. I sincerely hope you'll accept my invitation. And Anne decided, she said, I figured I could stay in my apartment alone, constantly in tears and unable to sleep or be among people in a beautiful setting. The word sincerely cemented my decision. It sounded genuine. Mm -hmm. So she went and her week with Bill and his family was transformative. They would all go for these long walks on the beach. They rode bicycles. They laughed. They had long meals together. And these were all things that they both really enjoyed but hadn't been able to do in so long because both of their spouses had been ill for yeah. a decade, you know. Um, and so one night they went to a restaurant on the water and they ordered cocktails and Anne asked for – a straw with her drink and the drink arrived, but there was no straw. And she asked again, but the waiter just ignored or just didn't, you know, just forgot. 
Um, was trying to protect the turtles. You know? Was trying to protect the turtles. <laughs> um, and so five <laughs> minutes later, after she had asked the second time, Bill gets up from the table, doesn't say anything, but he gets up and he comes back with a bamboo straw. Oh. And Anne said, after being a caregiver for my husband for so many years, it felt good to have someone watching out for me. So at the end of that week, Bill walked her to the ferry and just before she left, he gave her a quick kiss on the mouth. Like... Not anything sensual, but she said that even though his lips were closed, she felt sparks. So she went home and she texted her cousin, who had also recently lost her husband, um, and asked her, what's the right amount of time to wait before dating? And her cousin answered right away, since we're in our 70s, one day. (laughs) Like basically, we, we don't have any time to waste. Like, get your joy, you know? Um, And Anne knew that she liked Bill, but she says, you know, she felt guilty. She said that she worried, like, when is it okay to be intimate with someone after your spouse passes away? Is it okay to become involved with the spouse of one of your deceased best friends? Like, will people think that I didn't love Stephen? Like, all of these things. She's Mm -hmm. just feeling the guilt of it. And so she asked her therapist. She was like, when when is it time? And he basically was like, there's room in your heart for both Stephen and someone new. Like, I am thrilled you met someone. You have my blessing, you know? Um, And Bill, too, was like, he was worried, you know, his wife had been gone for four years, but he knew it was fresh for Anne, but he was feeling a spark, too. So he didn't want to push Anne before she was ready. And he knew that Anne is Jewish. So he asked this group of Jewish men who stand on the sidewalk behind a table in their neighborhood and the so- with a sign that says, you know, ask me about Judaism. <laughs> so oh, he went that. to those guys and was like, how long is like a mourning period? <laughs> and the guy, this one guy told him like, well, traditionally it's 30 days. So Bill was like, okay, well, you know, I'll see. So, um, so then in July, this was after she finally got Romeo Bill texted her. He said, I've been offered another week to rent the house on Fire Island. I'm only interested if you'll join me. So she knew this time it was just going to be the two of them. Um, And she said she was nervous because, you know, they're both in their 70s. And because of their spouse's illnesses, neither of them had been intimate with anybody for years. But she was thinking of her cousin's words. She said she didn't want to waste any more time. She also knew that Steve would approve because before he had died, he had told her many times, like, if I die before you, I want you to be with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And they had promised. the story. Yeah. Yeah. So she said yes to going to Fire Island. And when she got to the house, she found presents waiting for her. She found a pillow that said, you, me, and the dog. And a pink T-shirt that read Puppy Love on Fire Island. Like these uh-huh. are, you know, because she, she had the new puppy who she brought with her. And Anne wrote, from the moment I arrived on Fire Island the second time, we couldn't keep our hands off each other. It was as if our bodies were alive again. No rush. Touching, caressing, and kissing were more important than actual sexual intercourse. When your spouse is ill, having sex is the last thing on your mind. Now we were voracious. Which is just oh, great. Yeah. Um, so after Fire Island, they went back to their New York City apartments, which is they're just one floor from each other, and they have been together ever since. Uh-huh. So Anne says they have no plans to get married or to live together because they like their apartments, they like their space, but she says they are committed to each other. And she says they spend a lot of time traveling together, laughing, and sharing the bed in my den from a pull-out couch, a neutral space for our marital beds. So, like, they won't sleep with each other in the beds that they oh, were with wow. their spouses in, but they mm-hmm. will be, like, in this pull-out couch. Um, she said they frequently text and say, I love you. And she says sometimes they text and say, I have to pinch myself. Oh, I know. And so sometimes, so sweet. She, sometimes she texts Bill and says, like, asks him to come down for coffee or just says, let's neck. <laughs> so cute. Um, they take walks with Romeo. They go out to dinner. They travel for the weekends. She said anything is possible. Like teenagers, we call each other boyfriend and girlfriend and can't keep our hands off each other. 
Um, Anne wrote, I watched my Stephen deteriorate through years of illness, and in many ways, my life deteriorated at the same time. I want to spend the rest of my life experiencing all the pleasure and happiness I can get my hands on. Yeah. No matter, yeah, no matter what the future holds, the universe has given Bill and me another chance to experience more love and yes, sex too. And I can't imagine that ever that could ever be a bad thing. I'm gonna embrace it. Uh, no, they deserve they deserve all of it. They you deserve know, they, all of it. Yes. yes. They they both went through the most horrific thing a person could experience is people could go through. Yes. And they and they were so loving and kind and giving throughout all of it and selfless like they deserve to be happy and I'm so, oh that just like warms my heart so much. Isn't that so lovely? I was yeah. So I read this this article that she read that she wrote about finding love after her husband died and I was like, "Wow, that that like name sounds so familiar. I was like, have we done this story? And then I found that story about her husband and the and Romeo. And I was like, oh my God, it's the same woman. Like I'm just even more just so thrilled for her. And yeah. um and she, you know, she just has such a beautiful way of writing about things. She's so honest and real. And um the article in the Huffington Post is a, a lot about actually like people in their 70s, like rediscovering their sex lives. And so I definitely go read that. It's really interesting and just really honest and, and beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So anyway, that's I amazing. Just love that. I know. I love so it. Great. great job. Thanks. Oh, I'm so happy. I love updates on people who've uh, done stories before. Right? <laughs> we should, we should do more. more. <laughs> I know. It's great. Yeah. I love it. All right, well, let's do something dumb and something we love. All right. Um, I'll start. Uh, so something something I love, I got to take, I didn't want to talk about before because we have what we call the curse of the podcast is where if yep. we talk about something we're excited about, uh, <laughs> it falls apart. So, but I got, I got to take my son on like a quick trip to New York City and uh, just mother-son trip. It was like a birthday present for him and he's always wanted to go and it was fun. We got to stay with my friend Milani and- um, Hi, Milani. Hi, Milani. <laughs> and um, her uh, and her husband, Gil, I've known her husband too. I've known Milani and Gil both since I was like 19 years old and our kids have grown up together. So it was really great for like Sully to be with their son, Sib, but we just had the best time. So yeah. that was awesome, was our trip to New York. The thing that was dumb, which is actually also awesome, was while we were there, it was like the first day we were there, we were on um, right outside of the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge on the Manhattan side. And there was um, these like street performers and it was like, they look like a, a breakdancing troupe yeah. and they were getting the crowd like all hyped, like super hyped and kept like stretching and like, like stretching their arms and legs. Like they were about to start dancing. Yeah. And, like, um, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at Milani and I said, dude, like what if this is all they do? And she was like, shut up. And I was like, it might be. And so like, and so, um, so then all of a sudden they call Sully and they're like, come here, come here, like to my son and like bring him out into the um, the circle, you know, and the whole crowd yeah. is around him. And it's so funny because Sully's just like, that's just typical Sully is he's always the one chosen right. for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's charmed, that kid. I, I was like, <laughs> you know, go ahead. So they insinuated that they were going to jump over his head, this one guy. <laughs> and then he was like, wait. And then right as he was about to do it, he goes, wait, 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 wait. And then he goes and gets another person and brings them and sets them outside of Sully. And then he acts like he's going to jump over him. And then wait, wait, wait. And then did like a third and a fourth. And then he's like, I'm about to jump over all these people. One, two, three, four. And like and totally just hyping the crowd up. And everybody's yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh my God. And like, I can't tell you the amount of times I stopped and started, or uh, started and stopped my f video. Like, okay, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, wait, wait, wait. And so then, and then he does like one last wait. And he was like, um, this is 
where we take donations. Uh, $20 uh -huh. is the normal donation. And, 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 and like, so people are putting money in there. I threw $10 in there, you know, cause they're about to jump over my child. And right. so I put like, um, everybody put money in the thing. And then the guy like acts like he's about to jump over. <laughs> and then he just takes off. And then all of a sudden, all of the break dancers are gone. And Melania and I looked at each other and started dying. Like we were like, howled we were laughing so hard and like um sully thought it was the funniest thing ever and like it, and yeah we got scammed but and, uh, it was on. funny we laughed about it but sully was like so thrilled to get scammed because he felt like it was like the most new york moment that could have happened to him oh yeah and he that's was like I texted you i was like this is like classic new york <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh i posted something about it and everybody was like oh yeah that's yeah that's a it's an oldie but a goodie yeah. but it was so funny because like even when um he was telling his dad about his trip like he told yeah. his dad his favorite part about the trip was that he got scammed like a real new yorker yeah <laughs> It was funny. It, like, it was dumb that we got scammed, but hilarious at the same time. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. It's a good time. Um, How about you? This is just random. Um, but I like, so last week, this week, I, I've been like, I've been so weepy. Just like, not weepy, but like. You are not the first person to say that to me this week. Like everyone is. I think it's oh, the really? eclipse. It's the moon again. God damn well it. <laughs> Here's what I what I realized because I was like, I just like like I'm crying at like commercials and stuff, which is Aww. just not like you know. Or like I was like Ben came in this morning and I was just like tears running down my face. He was like, what is going on? I was like, I just watched like a really touching TikTok. <laughs> he was like, Should I leave? I was like, no, no, I'm fine. But I was like, I don't know what is going on. And then. um and then I realized that like I'm like adjusting my meds, like my oh. uh, like my mental health meds. And I was like, gotcha. oh, <laughs> right. Like I looked up the side effects and I was like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, everything. Like it's like, oh, are you sleepy on the afternoons? And are you crying all the time? <laughs> but uh, but so it was just like so dumb that I did not even like I didn't even connect the two that like, oh, I'm adjusting, I'm like changing the dosage of my meds and whatever, you know. Um, so that's just dumb for me not recognizing it. But also sometimes no, it's, really it's not cathartic. Dumb. It's cathartic to cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Absolutely. That's good, man, to cry. God, nothing like a shower cry, you know, right? to start just your like, day. I'm not sure what this is about, but let's get it out. Yeah. Let's get it out. Um, so that's that's dumb i also love love uh you know hey if it's something you feel like you that will help you i for a long time didn't um didn't really think of it as an option but like you know if you're struggling like hey meds are uh, mental health meds are like a, a good um they're a good tool a good tool to have and talk to your doctor if you feel like you might want to get on it that really it's like why not try it if you have been struggling um, yes. is my like just you know not to preach not to be like everybody needs to do it just like hey if I was struggling a lot and then once I got on it was made my life way more manageable um, the awesome. other thing that I love so there you go get it you know meds um, and I last weekend got to go to two concerts with Ben it was so great we went and saw the head and the heart and we saw um, flaming lips yeah. Did I talk about that? Did I talk no, about No, but you told me that you went to – you saw my sister there. I did see your sister. Yeah. Okay, so I went to Head in the Heart. I went to Flaming Lips, um, and Flaming Lips was just like, if you get a chance, go, even if they're not a band that you like. It's just one of those bands that's like a total spectacle, so fun. I loved every minute of it. It was great. So Good. that was something I love. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, so we you guys, that was we an episode. did it. It's an episode. Hey. Guys, guess what's coming up? The fucking Red Clay Comedy Festival. Right. Jen, are there still tickets? Um, I think there might be some VAP passes left. Um, there might be sold out. I'm not quite sure. I should know this, being yeah. one of the producers. Um, but uh, but there are still plenty of showcase passes left, I believe. Some of the headliner shows are sold out. Uh, just go to redclaycomedy.com um, for tickets. Yeah, and information and schedule, and it's going to be a good old dang time. 
It's going to be a dang, old, like, a dang old good time. Like every show you're going to go to, like even if say there's, you know, I mean, if even if you can't go to one of the headliner shows, like every show is great because these are all like amazing comics who've been handpicked coming from around the country to be at this, you know, to be at this festival. So it's just a fun time. You know, I think one of the best shows I had last year was at like a bagel shop. It was yeah. so fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're just like these really Those are intimate. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was like fun fun venues. Um so go if you you can't get a VIP pass, get like one of the showcase passes and you're going to have a great time. Yeah, come on down. Come on down. To Red Clay Town. Yeah, we'll um, see you I'll there. S- we'll see you there. So go to redclaycomedy.com. Um you can follow us, you can find us on all the socials at Dumb Love Podcast. You can rate and review, you can tell a friend. Um we would love that. Do all of those things. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum,